You know, many combat veterans and first responders struggle with post-traumatic stress, and we both have been there ourselves. However, our worst traumatic experiences were childhood and civilian lives. If you suffer from anxiety, depression, or emotional distress, you're not alone. And many of us are jammed up emotionally on some level, and all we want to do is set you free. Thank you for joining us on the Anxiety Guys podcast, where we are leading the emotional revolution. Join us and discover how you can feel the heal. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Anxiety Guys. Today, we have a guest from Australia. I'm excited to introduce Julie Walker. Julie is a professional counselor in Australia, runs an organization called It's a Stable Life Counseling Services. And Julie, welcome. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you. We we met, actually, it was a couple of years, probably more than a little over two years ago, back when I lived in Florida. Let me ask you a question. How did you hear about, because you came to us through 220, how did you hear about us over in Australia? I deliberately actually went looking for something to help me with the people I'm seeing with the with PTS because everyone was telling me it can't be cured, it can't be helped, you have to learn to live with it. So I wasn't happy with that. So I had a lot of veterans coming to me, not just veterans, but a lot of people suffering with PTS. So I thought that's it, I'm going hunting. So I actually Googled everything I could and I was reading everything. And yours came up because... The veteran side of it struck me because I do a lot with vet, a lot of work with veterans, and you being a veteran yourself, and the whole thought of hang on, if this has worked for you, I'm going, I've got to do it. So yeah, that was the main reason. Um, working with veterans and PTS, and not just not taking no for an answer. There must be a way. There must be somehow we can help us live with the triggers and stop it. I love it. Now, the veteran cause for you is personal. You want to explain why it's personal for you? I am the mum of a veteran. My son went in the art in the Australian Army. I went in as a diesel mechanic, or did his apprenticeship and became a diesel mechanic. He did one tour of Afghan in 2010. He probably one of the lucky ones. He's come back. He says it's changed him, but he's doing all right. He's gone on and have a lovely little family and he's doing really well. But a lot of his mates didn't. My husband and I decided that we would open our property. We were on 100 acres in Dublin. So we thought we would open our property up with our horses and start an equine acceptance therapy program for veterans primarily, where they could come out and spend time with the horses, learn new skills, so new life skills, new communication, trust, reduce anxiety, get them out of the house, off the couch. So that's how we started those sorts of things because he was not he was not alone. When the transition starts over here to get out of the army, it's they're just lost. A lot of these guys are just lost. So we wanted to open the place up for them to have somebody go. Yeah. So very veterans very oh. close to my heart. I'm very grateful that you're doing that down in Australia. And let me ask you a question, and this has always been personal to me because I've deployed a couple times Iraq, Afghanistan. What was it like being a mom when your son was deployed? Absolutely terrifying. We were in South Australia. He was actually in Darwin when they deployed to Afghanistan and leave from Darwin. So we went up there and spent a weekend with him before he left. I think the hardest part is when you don't know, when you can't communicate. Obviously, when things go wrong, communication shut down, it all goes quiet. So there's months and months that you just don't know whether they're going to come back. So it is terrifying, but you've just got to have faith that that was, it's not his term. It's not his time. He's going to come home. 
And the day he said he was coming home, that was just amazing. <laughs> I feel for the parents that didn't, their son didn't return. I really do. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you came through the training at 22-0, what was your first impressions when you started doing the work? To start with, I was terrified because the protocol was going to be done on me. So I'm like, okay, I don't know anybody in that, in like you yourself. I'd only just met you. I had no idea what to expect. Going through and talking about personal problems or issues I've had in the past as childhood, and I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. In fact, I had a conversation, I think, with you before I even went on the podcast with the actual group setting for that reason. I think I've emailed a dozen times. What do I have to tell anyone? Do I have to say anything? But yeah, a bit, bit very skeptical, very scared, very, yeah, very worried about what was going to come out. But you made it so easy. It was just once we started, it was just so, so easy. It was just, I, I was just blown away how it was just, it was just, yeah, just, I don't know, I can't, I can't explain it. It was just really, really easy. And you put it, put me to ease not having to disclose anything. So that was awesome. Nick, you want to add anything to that? No, I just like hearing the story of how the fear was there. We hear that a lot. And I think that was one of our big missions when we really set out to develop our processes in the way that we did was the, the content sucks, right? some people get used to therapy. They do it for years. So they, I think they regurgitate their trauma because they've learned that's just the way they've done it for so long. And maybe they've disassociated or maybe they don't feel it, but the majority of people don't want to talk about the content. They don't want to share the details, especially with strangers. I don't want to walk into a room and immediately share my darkest traumatic events in my life or moments in my life with people I don't know let alone a coach or whatever. And I think that's the piece that's almost hard for people to understand. Even though we say no content, you're not going to, it's, you can't even understand that. You're like, you can't believe it. Like, how am I going to sit with you and fix my funk? And you have no idea what I'm working on. It seems utterly ridiculous, unbelievable. And I, the skepticism we always welcome, because once we sit down, we'll, if, if we couldn't do what we say we do, we wouldn't exist. 22-0 wouldn't exist. Anxiety guys wouldn't exist. And I think you're a walking testament to that, walking in of faith and not giving up. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I love that. I'm going to find a way to heal and not just cope because everybody's telling me I have to cope. That's critical thinking. And I think maybe in our society nowadays, there's a lot of people that lack critical thinking. You just go along with whatever the narrative is or whatever the status quo has always been. Just because it's always been that way, does that mean it always has to be that way? And I think you're a shining light in that of somebody who's not only a parent of somebody who has deployed a combat veteran, but somebody who's gone through the processes herself and experienced it. So kudos to you. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Julie, how do you think the the processes have helped you personally in your life, you and your family? I was one of those people that would never go to counseling. There's no way I would have walked in an office and sat and told, like Nick said, your deep, deepest, darkest secrets to someone that you didn't know. I think part of trauma is having the thought that what do they care? This is my stuff. I just have to deal with it, get on with it, get over it. You get told all the time, oh, just that was years ago, get on with it, don't worry about it. It doesn't work like that. You can't just push it over. But I also didn't want to spend 10 years in therapy. Who wants to go back and forth to the same therapy office once a month, once a week, once a fortnight? And even with that equine therapy part of it, being a counsellor myself, I didn't want people coming to me months after months after months and not getting anywhere. It was just to me just so 
thankless for me and pointless for them. It just didn't seem the right way to go. So looking for something Julie, else when I found what you just said – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what you just said is what baffles me. With your – with the – therapy world in general. Now, I'm not, I shouldn't paint a broad brush on every therapist out there. But when I came, I don't have a therapy background. So when we developed these processes and we started trying to share it with the world, what you just said is what I thought the reaction would be from the vast majority of therapists out there. Holy shit. I can help people with their stuff and not have to hear it, not have to take it home when you're in the clinical world, you're hearing, you're getting the same patient week after week, month after month. At some point, it's got to get a little old. Really? Are we dealing with the same emotion, the same crap the, all over again? And I get you have empathy for that person and your client, but how I, I can't even fathom why there's folks in the therapy world that would want that. If we have a better way to do this that can help you help your clients, it's helping both of you. You don't have to hear the content. You don't go home thinking about what got said. You're not putting the pictures in your head. You're not getting vicarious trauma. And oh, by the way, you can move on to the next thing. Like for me, it'd be boring. If I have to work with the same patient, same client every single week or month for years, I'd like to see some different scenery. Not that they're not good people, but I'd like to set them free and move on. And it's I loved hearing you say that because you're in that world and you're like, I don't want that. I want to heal people, see them move on with their life and move on to the next thing. So thank you for sharing that. You can probably tell there's been a little frustration over the years with me and I'm sure with Dan too, where we're like, why would you not? I'd be hurting up every counselor and therapist in the world if I was a psychologist right now going, hey, let's go talk to these guys. You got to hear what they have to say. But generally when we get a room of them, they're like, hmm, can you give me the clinical data of the evidence-based theory? And they go into their nerd brain of the data and it's like, okay, I just walked somebody through this process that has complex PTSI, PTSD, whatever you want to call it. You just saw them go from tens to zeros. That doesn't impress you. I need to see the data. It's like, oh my gosh, man. It's like, I just want to take my head and put it through a wall in moments like that. No, we just had a recent experience with a psychologist in the state of Florida who is working with fire departments. Two of the firefighters at the department have come through 22-0 and they were blown away by the results and the fact that their employee assistance program failed one of their people and we were able to quickly get them. And what Nick just said is this psychologist wanted to know the peer-reviewed literature, wanted to know the clinical supervision, wanted to know all of these things that his world is concerned about. And he's, he may end up being a roadblock to that organization being able to have a peer support program that's robust where they can actually work with one another. So we see a lot of the pushback. And I think it's the higher the level of academic, the higher the level of licensure is our biggest problem here in the U.S. Not all, because we do have some um, pretty formidable professionals that are on board with what we're doing and are going to help us with some research. But do you what, what is your down in Australia? What is your uh, perception of that level of the world? Exactly the same. None of my clients want, from what Nick just said then too, a lot of my clients don't want to know the nitty-gritties of how it works. They just say, okay, we've got a report, I'll trust you, run it, run me through it and we'll see how we go, happy to do it, not a problem. And don't get me wrong, I've got clients that I've had coming to me for a few years and I love those people. There's some, they might be autistic children or people that 
come to me for a long time for, with the horses and all those sorts of things. And they're great people and they, and we do have a good rapport and we do work things through. And it's a lot more to do with not just the PTS or trauma. We do obviously make good headway that way. But as far as I also get people come to me and say, oh, my psychologist or my psychiatrist has told me not to do trauma therapy, any form of trauma therapy. I just want to do the horses. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> really? There's so much more we can do and don't talk them into it. I offer it. I don't push anybody into it. I don't say this will work. This I don't go down that path too much because, but I do tell them exactly what it's like because I've been there myself. And I can say to them, look, this, I'm not giving you or not offering you this TRP because I think it's fancy dancy or anything else. I said, it's done to me. I know it worked. And this is, I'm living proof. This is how it goes. That's what I offer them. When you get to the psychologist or psychiatrist, and again, I'm not putting a blanket over all the therapists because there are others out there that would hopefully come on board and be happy with this. But they, I don't know. It's t- it tends to be, like Nick said, year after year after year. Why People have come to me that have been going to the same therapist for 10 years. Why? I, I don't get it. Like Nick said, asked, you think they'd be jumping up and down saying, well, what are you doing? Show me. Let's, let's have a look. It's got to work. But I've had the people come to me and say, no, my, my therapist has told me not to not to do any trauma therapy, just do the equine acceptance therapy, normal counselling. You, you know, <laughs> what? when I was talking, what, one of the things that I was specifically getting at, I do believe in cognitive behavioural therapy. Like I went to therapy after my divorce for three months straight, right? My dad was in therapy my whole childhood because he was an alcoholic and he went to AA, was sober, my most of my life sober. So I, I'm not a non-believer in therapy that it can help, but I don't, I wouldn't want to be a professional therapist and have to discuss the same trauma or the same deep rooted emotions like anger, rage, hurt, shame, guilt, resentment, like the a husband and wife, and I've been through a divorce. So one spouse hates you. It's like this resentment thing that if you can disconnect that stuff, that's when therapy really shines. That's when you can have the impact like you're talking about with autistic kids or people that don't they're not carrying a mountain of that stuff. The other thing I wanted to share with you is that folks that come to you that say their therapist said they shouldn't do trauma therapy. If they say that, I would look right at them and go, awesome, perfect, because I have something that's not therapy. What we do is not therapy. That piece is not there. There's no talking about it. It's literally a coaching process. I have a process that's a coaching process. It's not trauma therapy. You can say that ethically and it's true with specifically our protocols. So when they hear that, go, what? Huh? And then ask them that question. What would your life be like if you didn't have post-traumatic stress? Would you sleep better? Would you feel better? Picture your life without it. Would you let me explain this? I always say, let me explain. I ask them, would you let me explain this coaching process to you? Sure, you can explain it. Okay, look, this is how it's going to be set up. And I do the high level setup. And I said, I know it sounds stupid. Right, I know it sounds foolish. Just humor me, and then I just ask them to find a picture, and then find another picture, and I start walking them through it. Next thing you know, they're like, "Woo, where's that been all my life? Want to do some more? Yeah, that was cool. Let's do it." It's not therapy, and I don't think that's manipulative either, because it's the truth. It's not therapy. What we do specifically, and that usually opens that door too, because people that have done trauma therapy a lot of times don't want to go back because they walk out feeling worse than they walked in. I think the psychologists and the psychiatrists, you can't really blame them for their positions. They have been indoctrinated, educated, programmed by a system which is dependent upon 
a sick care model. In other words, the system doesn't want people to get better because it's not profitable. When we started doing what we were doing on the nonprofit side with 220, we took the profit out of it because we never charged a penny, didn't charge a single dime to any veteran, any first responder, any firefighter, paramedic, or their family members, or active military, or their spouse, or even their kids. So that was really cool for me because I always look at veterans and first responders in the US, and it's probably the same there as a cash cow for some industries. All right. Look at, take any veteran in the United States that's going through the Department of Veterans Affairs, and I guarantee you there's a handful of prescriptions that they're taking home every single time they have to go. Right. That's all they want to do is prescribe medications because it just, it's revolving around treating symptoms. We don't want to fix the issue. Let's treat the symptom. And I think some of the psychologists get into that mindset shoot, if we can fix this person in two to three hours, how else am I going to fill my schedule? Right. And Nick and I talk regularly that they can't tend, they become the most relevant once they learn how to do these skills. I'd love for Julie for you to share without disclosing any information on names. What are some of your more prominent successful cases that you've worked with? One main one comes to mind. He's been pretty messed up for a fair while. Makes a big, big song and dance in the veteran community a lot of the time. He's in, always in a lot of trouble anyway. So he came to me, asked me if I'd see him, and I said, yeah, why not? What's, I don't judge. You want to come out? Come out. So he came out, sat down. His heart rate was 180. We did the protocol. He rang me the next day. We did did a couple of hours, but he rang me the next day and he said, I actually feel really bad. I said, okay, why is that? And he said, I'm so tired. And I said, what's your heart rate now? And he said, it was 68. He said, it's never been that low. And I went, okay, how are you feeling? And we, he talked for another good hour and he just couldn't believe it, absolutely blown away. He said his anger has gone just, for instance, he got, got, <laughs> he got picked up by a police officer the day after the day after that, after the protocol. And normally he would get out of that car and be full on anger because he got picked up for speeding. He said, I never even got out of the car. He said, I took the ticket and I drove home. He said, I can't believe I actually did that. He was not only so proud of himself, he said, he rang me to say, you'd be so proud of me I did this. And I'm like, cool, that is so cool. So that's one main one. I love the yawning. I love the yawning and the walking out of the office so tired. But the other one was a police officer that came to me that said he was actually sitting there. He had the, his pistol in his lap. So he came to me that, that morning and said, I can't do this. This is after a night shift. Again, didn't say too much about what was going on. We did some finding the, the picture, one, the pictures before and after the event. He was shaking. He was crying. He was shaking. He was an absolute mess. After the protocol, he sat there and he looked, this is straight after, looked at me. Wide-eyed, sat forward in his chair. He was not shaking. He wasn't crying. And he said to me, it can't be that easy. I went, how do you feel? And he said, <laughs> so tired. And I went, yeah. I said, your legs stop shaking. Are you feeling in that respect? He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And he sat back in the chair again and he, and he sat there for a good five minutes just looking at me like, no, nah. no, 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 it can't be that easy. I said, we did the suds. And he said, I can't even really recall it. It's, I can't, yeah. And he's just looking, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he couldn't even put it into words how he was just. And I think that was the main one I can I'll always remember because it was just so obvious, so physically obvious that he was just struggling when he walked you know, in the door and went back to work. So it was cool. Those are two perfect answers for, or two things for me to lead in with this. When Nick says what we do is not therapy, it's not. 
it's a neurological intervention. What that means is we're resetting the nervous system. You're basically allowing the autonomic nervous system to reset itself. The gentleman who had the 160 beats per minute that's in the 60s, it's the nervous system is shutting off. It's going back into the normal homeostasis. The same thing with a guy whose leg's shaking. It's his nervous system that's resetting. And that's, I think, what a lot of the professionals just don't understand. We're not dealing with psychological illnesses when it comes to trauma. They're neurological injuries. The, basically, their foot is stuck on the gas pedal. And the shaking of the legs, that's just the high RPMs. The brain's constantly running or the heart rate at 160 beats a minute, the nervous system is constantly running. You're revving the engine 24-7, and that's why it's so unhealthy. We always cite the book, The Body Keeps Score by Dr. Vessel Vandercook. That's exactly what he talks about. That effect on the nervous system is why we're seeing so much illness, heart attacks, strokes, cancers, pick your autoimmune disorder. They're all stress-related. So thanks for sharing those stories. Where do you see your practice going forward in Australia? We'll always be obviously doing the equine side of it while we have the horses because it's another avenue for after running T, um, TLP as well. We go out and have a wander around and, and run with the horses and all those. So people, I know people are leaving in a really good state when they go. But I'd love to do just more of this because it's just so rewarding. And, again, the turnover of people you can have, it doesn't have to be just watching people go on with their lives after this and going, they've, they're booked in for the next three months. They're thinking they're going to be coming to see me forever. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I might see you in a fortnight instead of a week. It's like, yeah, cool, okay, which means they're going off doing things. They're obviously going off living their lives. So the more of that I can do, then I will be happy to just keep running with this because it's just never ending. It's never ending. It just amazes me. It's every day. Julie, just for me, what is a fortnight? Two weeks. <laughs> So right, cool. I just want to throw because I'm like, all right, instead of a week, we're going to do a fortnight. I'm like, fortnight sounds like a video game. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every fortnight, so instead of coming to see me every week. Nice. Do you do uh, telehealth at all? No. The problem we've got in Australia no at the moment is with counsellors, we can't do, we don't have a provider number. So counsellors can't get a provider number. So we can't do anything through our healthcare system. So it has to be either self-funded or something like through DVA. I would do telehealth. If, if I did that, it would probably have to be either self-funded or for, for free or whatever we would do. Okay. So if somebody in your community was looking for trauma therapy or anxiety treatment, how would they get a hold of you? We're on the website under a stable life counseling service or equine acceptance therapy. Give me a call or email. All details are on there. Give me a call or email and we'll work something out. So whether they're a first responder or a veteran or general public, NDIS, whatever they are, we'll just bring me, have a chat, and let's, let's get it done. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes so that people can link directly to it. And then we'll also provide you with a link so that you can share it around your community, your friends, your network, so more folks in cool. Australia can have access to this. I appreciate you, Julie, for taking the time. Thank you for being a military mom. I know that's a hard job, probably harder than it is for us overseas because we're actively engaged and you're constantly thinking about your son. So bless you for that. And yeah, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking the training and, and sharing it with your world. Nick, do you have any closing words? No, I think you said it best. I love Julie when you said you love seeing that big shift in people. And selfishly, I think that's a part of why I do this. When you see somebody have that big effect and they go from completely 
debilitated and ready to check out to smile and happy and tears of joy because they know that relief is there. It's just something special that, that you, unless somebody's been on our side of the fence where we've helped somebody heal, you just can't explain it to somebody. So thank you. And I'll second everything Dan said. So appreciate you being on the show and look forward to future conversations with you. Until next time. Thank you for having me, guys. Love it. Love what you do. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed stories of the mental margarita and hearing how others got to feel the heal. If you want to know more or work with us, you can head over to our website, anxietyguys.com. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us however you're listening to the podcast and leave us a review. That helps more people in need find the healing they deserve. We'll talk to you again in the next episode. Until next time, thank you for being a part of our tribe and joining the emotional revolution.